You're listening to The Hunt with your hosts, Matt Woodward and Dan Adler. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Hunt Podcast with Matt and Dan. We're excited to be here with you at Hunt Command in Central Arizona. It's been an amazing year. Last time we checked in with all of you guys, we had the whole Waldo crew surrounding us with one of our most popular, no, I'll say the most popular uh, Hunt with Matt and Dan podcast we've ever done. Today we've got my partner Matt here, Cole and Tanner here, Cole Kemp, Tanner Kemp, uh, special guest today, Cole full-time guy and his brother Tanner, heading up to the Rim Country this weekend. Welcome to the studio, guys. Happy to have you at Hunt Command. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having Welcome us, guys. Thanks. Happy to be here. We're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, I guess for our listeners, uh, probably want to get caught up on some of the things that have happened since we last touched base. Uh, also, I'm sure you want to know how Waldo finished up. We were last uh, talking about 430s and 440s, and... By the time the SCI Master Measure finished him up, he was 425 and 6 eighths. That put him at all-time number 11, SCI number 7 with the rifle. And uh, I can't say enough about the team that did that. He did turn into a Best of the West episode. However, comma, he wasn't a true Best of the West episode because someone who will remain anonymous, whose name rhymes with Anne, may have hit the wrong button uh, and turned the camera off instead of on. So we didn't have a perfect kill shot. So it did turn into an episode of Best of the West, but it was more like a three-minute segment, and it's actually one of our Folly videos from last year. But we did capture the moment that Mark got his bull. Another big shout-out to Mark. Congratulations. The bull's at the taxidermist, and uh, he's going to be finished up here soon. So we're going to do a little bit of a season recap here. Uh, We've got a lot to talk about. I don't know, 100, 150 animals have hit the dirt since we last talked from elk to desert bighorn sheep coos deer, mule deer, antelope, oryx, black bear, mountain lion. What am I forgetting? Uh, A little bit of everything, yeah. Yeah. There's been a lot of critters hit the dirt. So we want to do a little recap. And then just so you can plan your drive or wherever you listen to us today, uh, we're also going to talk about setting reasonable expectations mentally and physically for yourself on your own hunts, setting your own expectations mentally and physically when you're on a guided hunt. And for those of you that are planning on hunting with diamond outfitters in the future, you know, what are we doing to prepare for you? Because we know you're trying to best prepare for us. So that's some of the things we're going to talk about today. And I think I'm going to start off with Matt here in a moment. And let's just kind of get a mindset of since we last talked about Waldo, kind of review in our minds. You know, we hit New Mexico in the early season really hard. We got a lot of antelope hunts and bear hunts and lion hunts that kind of come in in that August, September time frame. And then, geez, you can almost fast forward to, to the off season. But uh, Matt... After Waldo, what are some of your fondest memories in the field uh, and kind of a season recap in your mind? Wow, it's, uh, it's been a long, busy year so far. Uh, we're not quite even done with this season yet, but uh, despite COVID and all the just the train wreck of a year 2020 was, we knocked it out of the park. I think everyone stayed really busy. Um, we didn't skip a beat. We never missed any hunts. Uh, we had some cancellations. Uh, we had to fill those cancellations and get some hunters in the field. And like I said, with all the challenges that 2020 brought, um, it was still a pretty impressive year. Antelope season was great. We uh, spaced our antelope hunts out this year in August and September and October. Uh, even did a couple of late ones there in northern New Mexico. Everyone shot good antelope. I think our average on antelope was probably an inch or two lower than it has been in years past. I think it's just a factor of our environmental conditions and stuff we've had on the ground in the last few years. But it was a good antelope season, good good season overall. And boy, the elk guys in, you know, in Arizona and New Mexico, 
elk hunting. Uh, it was a 2020 year, so it was like a, it was a goofy year. Elk, in a lot of cases, I think weren't where guys expected them to be. Uh, a lot of preseason scouting really paid off for us by finding elk and uh, being on elk that uh, no one else was on and, and elk in unusual places, at least places that were unusual to us that had been in those particular units over the last few years. And so it was a little bit of a goofy elk season, but uh, everyone did fantastic. Um, Johnny and Gabe and the crew killed a jumbo bull out of 6A of all places. A surprise big bull out of there. The guys up, uh, up along the rim and in 8 and, and uh, 10 just did fantastic as well. I think the eight camp knocked it out of the park with some really nice bulls this year. They were really consistent, good quality bulls across the board. Yeah, it was a busy year. I think after all that, we were still in Arizona for a while. We were chasing coos deer. The guys had really high success on coos deer hunts, and we'll circle back to the late season stuff. But, you know, other than the cancellations and, and dealing with cancellations and having some reschedule type stuff and trying to battle through all the, the COVID type stuff this, that this year brought, filled all of the tags I think we had a hunter or two that didn't fill a tag themselves this year but other than that probably 95 plus percent success across the board in Mexico and good year yeah I think the, the COVID stuff was really interesting because at first right the whole world shut down right this time mm -hmm. last year uh, I was actually on spring break with my family in, in uh, Disneyland of all places and we were kind of poking fun at the two or three people that were wearing a mask at that time and we're like man these guys are really overreacting and uh Two days into that, we're still at Disneyland, and the news is talking more and more. And I'm like, what are they going to do? Shut down Disneyland? And literally about that time, our little phone app beeped that said Saturday Disneyland was going to be closing. And that's that's when we really realized that the world was going to change for a while. To the credit of our team, you know, my phone started to ring a little bit more as international hunts were starting to get canceled. And people were looking for a place to go um, this year. And I think that was one of the things that helped us. In fact... Um, what a lot of people may not know is even in May and April and, and June, when some of the country was shut down, um, and even Arizona and our sister state, New Mexico, was shut down for certain things, hunting being sustenance base was allowed to continue. So we actually had turkey hunts that took place. We had oryx hunts that took place. We had bear hunts that took place. Uh, we had bison hunts that took place. We kind of adapted to the circumstances we were given. And for me, I'll, I'll throw it to Cole here in a minute. I don't know what your thoughts were, but for me, when it wasn't when Disneyland shut down, it wasn't even when we were locked down with our families that I realized the implication of COVID. To me, it was in our July scouting trips for elk and then the August deer season and September season where everybody had a bus or a camper mm -hmm. or a trailer. And we were jokingly calling it the COVID campers. You guys have hunted so many different places throughout the Southwest in those opening seasons, and we know how much traffic to expect, yeah. but holy cow, Cole, tell me what you experienced out there in that early season, because to me, it seemed like it was a NASCAR weekend everywhere we went on public ground. Yeah, well, it's it's funny you say that, because it wasn't even just the early season. I think I noticed a lot of it, too, even on this last over the, the OTC in December and January. There was just, it seemed like a huge influx of not only residents in Arizona that were out hunting, and just camping, but people from other states, California, Utah, Colorado. I mean, in our eyes, like, it's a good thing that there's people out in the woods. Like, we, I feel like we always want to have a bigger name for ourselves as a hunting community, but it also is making, like, me question, like, what's it going to be like with all these new hunters and these new campers that are out in the woods? Like, is that something that, you know, can Coconino National Forest handle all these new campers? Can they handle all these new hunters? And I think... 
you know, you look at our, our times now, we had, what, 18,000 new applications for the... Game and Fish can't game handle fish. the new hunters right now. Game and, game and Fish can't <laughs> handle it. So so it's definitely a, a, a new time and, and evolving and as guides and as, you know, people that, that hunt for a living. Scouting, we have to get creative. We're going into areas that, that people might not normally go. We're pushing the boundaries. How can you be creative? Everyone wants to sit a water hole. How can you get around that when there's five new hunters that want to sit that same water hole that no one sat for the last 10 years. So I think just, you know, going into this, this 2021 season, it's our guides being more creative, us being more creative with opportunities for hunters. I mean, I'm just excited, right? Like, I think that's what makes the diamond team so special is we're always throwing challenges and new challenges and it's how we overcome. And I think that leads to a lot of our success as a team and, and just excited for what the future has for us. Can't wait to get out there and just start hammering it. Yeah, you brought up a really good point with like the, just how packed things have been with the COVID campers. Uh, the woods have been a zoo. The deserts have been a zoo. You couldn't hardly get a UTV this year. They're back yeah. ordered three, four, five months. Yeah. Anything like that. For firearms, for example, ammunition. Uh, I can't remember what the total number is, but millions upon millions of new gun new firearm owners mm -hmm. in the U.S. this year buying up all the ammunition. Ammunition suppliers just can't keep up with the demand. And that goes for everything from UTVs and ammunition to campsites and room on the dirt roads and room on the hills uh, for all of us, uh, you know, sharing ground. And it's certainly going to be reflected in the draw odds, though. Yeah, yeah. I think that's something that we're going to get to watch over the next couple of years when the new draw odd reports come out next year and we see an influx of 18,000 applicants. I'm sure a lot of those are cow hunters, you know, sustenance mm -hmm. hunters, but there's going to be a lot of applicants applying for this tags that we've been putting in for for years whether that's a thousand or 500 new applicants on a certain hunt that's going to really skew the odds it's going to change the uh it's going to cause some increased point creep i think mm -hmm. and so uh, i'm not sure how it all happened but 2020 and covid yeah. uh, sent everyone outdoors <clears throat> moved a lot of people to the outdoors increased our applicant numbers gun sales utv sales every camouflage everything is through the roof everything is back ordered anything pickup hunting trucks. outdoor related <laughs> you, can't get a truck right now. you can't get a pickup truck right now yep, anything outdoor truck. related is yeah. back ordered and hard to find uh walmart has been out of buddy heaters all fall long they're selling buddy heaters uh, everyone is, is still trying to cram into tents all winter long to get out of get out of the house and so it's changed the landscape out there yeah. for sure and i'm sure like probably a lot of the listeners probably had very, very similar experiences. You know, I'm sitting here thinking back on all the hunts we had, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure this was the only year. It seemed like in every camp there were, there were guides or clients coming back saying, man, we were glassing and someone rolled right up on us and glassed right and next to us. pulled up right next right to next us. Right next to us, and I was yeah. just like, man, like, how crazy is that? We're like, you never really had to worry about that in the past, and I'm sure people are probably frustrated with it, but I feel like that's just kind of how things are gonna be moving forward. Like, we just have a, a huge number of people that are interested in the sport, interested in camping, and, and just finding ways to adapt, you know? And, and, and it's a whole, on one hand, it's right, it's a whole conversation on hunter ethics, what do you do when you roll up a guy that's, that's there? Yeah. On the other hand, it, is it a technology question? Because when we've got Onyx, and we've got GPS, and we've got Flatline, we've got all these different great tools, if I'm sitting in a camp I've never been to, I'm a DIY guy, and I'm showing up in Arizona the night before the hunt, what, what am I going to do if I've got a pair of 15 by 56s and I'm stuck in unit A, B, or C? Well, where can I go get high? Because yeah. I can find, I don't care where you put me on earth, give me altitude in my optics and I'm good. That's mm -hmm. all I need. You know, we've, we've often joked, 
Um, we are professional glassers, cleverly disguised in the hunting and guiding business, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we're sitting up there and guys are rolling up on us and we wave. And, and for the last 20, 30 years, when we wave to that guy, he sees us, he waves back, he turns around and he leaves and mm -hmm. he's never been seen again. And if he comes by camp later that day, he apologizes that he even rolled up on him and rolled up on us. And we're like, no, it's good, man. We, he turned around and we appreciate it. But now with some of this technology stuff, it has kind of changed. And I think it's an important distinction, what I think has made Diamond Outfitters grow so well. And, and for those of you that are new listening to the Matt and uh, the Hunt podcast with Matt and Dan for the first time, don't get so fixated on the draw that to forget the Diamond Outfitters for every species we're talking about from elk to antelope to desert bighorn sheep, we do have guaranteed landowner tags. So you're going to hunt with us one way or another if you want to. But we want to give you the most amount of opportunity to hunt with us in different states and, and as you know, different countries. So that technology's changed it. The hunter, the, uh, hunter uh, ethics has changed it. And now we'll just throw in a little bit of kind of one of the hot topics in the Southwest recently in Arizona and now starting to play out in Utah is this notion of a trail camera ban yeah. and, uh, or, or a seasonal ban or not to be able to use it for the purpose of take which good luck trying to define that. But I'll say my first thing, and I'd like to get Tanner and everybody's opinion here too. I've been asked by several highly visible public figures, whatever you want to call them, to make an, an official statement. And, and the same official statement I've made to them, I'll make here on the podcast is, a lot of guys are talking about the use of cameras and whether it's fair or whether it's uh, ethical and all these different things. And while that's the response they're asking from me, I, I think guys personally, maybe it's as a veteran, I don't know, I'm not overly concerned about the question of a trail camera or a UTV or a particular bino or long range scope. I'm more, and tell me if I'm wrong, I'm more concerned about government interference in the way we hunt and fish. Mm -hmm. So if I want to use a long range gun and then the next day use a pistol, as long as it's within the regulations of that season, good. If I want to use a trail camera and then the next day not use one, good. I mean, it's it's a consumer item that you can buy and sell. We don't need to interfere with interstate commerce. I don't feel like I want the government telling you, telling my 14-year-old son how they can operate in the woods. So is it a trail camera issue, Tanner, or is it a freedom issue? I personally feel like what you said is nailed, head, everything's perfect when it comes to the government overreach like you're referring to. Uh, I see a lot of people that have issues with too many cameras on a water hole or whatnot. But at the end of the day, everyone's out there trying to do the same thing you are. We all live in a country that allows us to be free. There are soldiers that go across seas and fight for our freedoms. And that's what allows us to live in this great country is that ability to go out and put trail cams on the water hole. And do we really want to risk losing that and letting someone that has quite frankly, probably no idea what pro cameras are telling us what we can and can't do. I just, I feel like there's a lot of things that people need to mind their own business. And this is one of those situations that I strongly agree and yeah. encourage. It's, it's, it's given an inch. It's not about the trail cameras or the right or wrong of trail cameras. It's given up privileges that, that we have, uh, any privileges. And I don't want to give up any of those privileges because once we give them an inch, they they're going to take a mile. Yeah. And, and so it's the beginning of the end, basically. It's the beginning of them taking and pulling privileges from us. So we've got to fight each and every one of our privileges seriously. We lost, you know, trapping 
what, 30 years? 30 years ago, ago yeah. now at this point, folks may have a difference in opinion of this as well, but a lot of it was apathy on Hunter's parts that uh, they said, well, I don't trap, I'm not worried about that. So you had some adamant, serious trappers down there lobbying the courts and stuff to, to keep trapping, and you had the rest of the hunters that just weren't worried about it. Yeah. And so the same thing goes with, with trail cameras and crossbows and muzzleloader restrictions and everything else like that. Got a rifle hunter stuff. I'm not concerned about muzzleloader restrictions, but in but in reality, it's restricting our hunting privileges as a whole. So, to me, it has nothing to do with the trail cameras in particular. I just prefer to fight tooth and nail against anything that that pulls hunting yeah. privileges from. And a, tra a trail camera's never killed an animal, as far as I know. I mean, there's <laughs> mine no... have been very benign. They're very safe. They're unloaded yeah, at all times. And they've mm -hmm. never killed anything. Yeah, and you know, I've, I've seen a lot of threads, right, that talk about uh, who this will hurt the most is guides and outfitters. And I think I understand the sentiment from the public, but I'm going to tell you why I disagree with that. It's the same reason that who wins a presidential election doesn't alter my life. And I know it does for a lot of people, but let me explain. I'm a sandbox guy. You, you put me in a sandbox, you give me my predefined rules, and because of the team I've surrounded myself with, we'll come out on top. Now, did I want Trump to win the election? Did I think he was better for hunting and conservation? Sure, I did. When Biden won, did I think, well, our business is over, we're going to lose? I mean, heck, Joe Biden's the greatest thing that's ever happened to firearm sales since right. Barack since Obama. Obama. Since Obama. <laughs> or, or, or even Jimmy Carter 40 years ago. Yeah. So, um, you know, in some ways, the, there's been a boost there. And if more people are putting in for hunting licenses now, then there's a boost to the kind. But here's the deal. Here's my sandbox. And if you say, okay, your sandbox looks like this under Trump, and now Trump loses, and now my sandbox looks like this under Biden. You can call it a trail camera issue or a long-range scope versus my 30-year-old Tasco. Anything you want, but in that sandbox, surrounded by the right team, we'll thrive anyway. So I think it actually hurts the do-it-yourself hunter. I think it hurts the guy who can't go out because if somebody takes away my trail cameras, okay, I, I care, but it's just a new sandbox. And we've got a staff whose job it is to keep track on these critters year-round. Sitting on critters all day, all, all week long, Monday through Friday, while everyone else is working is at a job. It doesn't hurt the full-time guides, because if, it, if we pull trail cameras away from everyone, the DIY guy is going to get out Friday afternoon through Sunday, and he's going to get his time. In the meanwhile, you, me, the rest of us, a dozen of us, are going to be out there Monday through Friday, skipping the weekends. Yeah, right. We're scouting full-time. So the trail camera, to, in long-term, and us and our business and everything, is, is really irrelevant. Yeah, it affects what we've got going on, but not near as much as it affects the, the DIY guy yeah. who gets his weekends free and, and gets his two or three hunts a year that he, yeah. that he draws or OTC hunts, and he works really hard for those couple of hunts yeah. a year. That's the guy that hurts. It doesn't hurt the guy that spends I'm 200 too. days a year well, in the field. Go ahead. I just think it's comical, like, and this is everything from, like, the politics that are going on in our country right now to, like, our own game and fish issues that we're having. It's literally just causing like a division in a, in a group of people, right? Whether it's politics, you know, dividing this group of people from this group of people. It's the same thing with hunters. You have people that are for the trail cam and people that are against it. And like, I feel like if people could just get past like what is happening and just understand like we work as a team, we all should be in the sandbox together. Yeah. Right. And, and at the end of the day, like, yes, it is all about animal conservation and how it does that. As hunters, we're the, num we're the leading conservationist for them, right? We're stewards of the land. All of the dollars that we put into buying tags and buying license goes back into to animal habitat and, and taking care of these animals. So it's like when you have a team that's divided, like you can't move forward. Yeah. It's not good mm -hmm. for it's not it's not a good look for, for the hunting community, I feel like, when you have that division.
when I do my long range hunting and ethics seminar at the hunting big conventions around the country every year, one of the things I talk about is what are we up against? And I have a slide for how much money is in the Humane Society of the United States and PETA, Defenders of Wildlife and some of these things. But to your point, Cole, then I bring it back to how many times have you seen it in person or on a social media thread where you got a longbow guy, a crossbow guy, a compound bow guy, and a recurve guy in an argument or a muzzleloader like a best of the West long range muzzleloader versus a flintlock or you know a Tasco scope versus a long range custom rifle. And I think those conversations are important, they need to happen, but I think they're behind those closed doors and we have those hard conversations. But the minute that door goes back open, we're all hunters yeah. and we're all on the same page. And there's an important statistic if you're listening to our show and even if you're not a hunter or huntress yet, I think it's worth noting that when you take all of the dollars that come to this, the country's GDP from recreational vehicles, the mountain bike community, the hiking and climbing community, and even the fishing community combined, combined they don't contribute financially the way, hunter, uh, the, way the hunting community does. And Matt did a great uh, social media post on Brandon Goodwin's sheep hunt that I addressed the other day talking about wild sheep and the conservation and how hunters have, are the only ones that step up to the plate. It's not Defenders of Wildlife, it's not PETA, it's not these animal rights, which are really not animal rights activist organizations. If the Animal rights activists are hunters. Tree huggers are hunters. We're the ones that put our money where our mouth is. And wild sheep don't pay for themselves. So when we have money from elk and deer and antelope that can also help offset desert bighorn sheep habitat and governors and special raffle and commissioner's tag that can offset those costs, that's how these animals get by. That's how these animals thrive and take populations from 1,000 to 8,000. And uh, you know, if you want these animals around for your kids and your grandkids, even if you're not a hunter, go buy your state hunting license. Go into a Walmart, go into a sporting goods store, buy an over-the-counter hunting license, go home and throw it in the trash, and set a reminder for next year to go buy another one. Yeah. I mean, that's how you contribute to your state and your country's wildlife. And uh, yeah, you can change the sandbox on me, but um, we're gonna continue to work. And you know, I think about organizations like the Boys and Girls Club. Uh, I think about uh, scouts. You know, if the scouts wanna go out there and use their trail camera, and they're gonna be you know, considered uh, use of take or something along those lines. So I think we just have to be careful about that overreach anywhere we go. I think circling back to talking about that con the conservation funding, um, that's one thing we didn't really touch on with with 18,000 new hunters and 5 million new gun owners in the U.S. in 2020. 11% uh, of their expenditures in, in for, on firearms and ammunition and things like that go to the Pittman-Robertson Act. So mm -hmm. uh, maybe long term we see an a increase in, in uh, Pittman-Robertson funding and, and yeah. uh, conservation funding in general if we can get more people spending more money on outdoors-related mm -hmm. type that's like items. We, we always had this joke like, amongst my hunting buddies we were like Obama like some of us might not have liked him we had our own opinions on it but he was like the leading like the leading person to, to conservation because yep. the gun sales skyrocketed when he was in office and like you said tying back to the Pittman Foundation or the, the Pittman Robertson Pittman Act, Robertson yeah. Act it's, I mean it, it goes right back into absolutely the other thing too that you need to remember though is, is yeah it's going to look good for the financial future but there are matters that are pressing now like a few years ago, what happened in California with the mountain hunting or mountain lion population and them being just shutting off the season altogether. Well, that's going to impact futures where, yeah, we're having all this extra money, but if we're not fighting situations here and now and we aren't taking the stances and uniting together, and as we divide, we will fall apart. Where if we can just stay together and get together as a group and fight these 
different outside organizations that are trying to divide us all apart in the future we will have those sustainable like bear hunting in new york and in uh, new jersey or in florida and that could potentially start infringing towards central u.s into the western u.s where we don't know what the future holds and if we're willing to put up the fight for the guys back east or out in california hopefully that'll reciprocate down the line and on the topic of the additional hunting licenses sold this year there kind of went away for a little bit but there was a time where a considerable amount of our hunting license and elk and deer applicants were considered to be non-hunters or animal rights activists who were actually buying the tags getting drawn and then throwing the tags in the trash um, and never using because they didn't want to see a deer or an elk get killed and and to at least that group of animal rights activists without being sarcastic i commend you because at least you put your money where your mouth is you bought that elk tag you bought that deer tag and you threw it away but at least you gave something to conservation in doing that you kept a hunter out of the woods which was your own moral compass and that's on you but at least you contributed in that sense and i don't know how many of those are in this influx this year i think a lot just has to do with people being at home and paying more attention to it but on that note um a little bit more into a season recap you know september flew by because we had guys scattered all over the southwest in uh, new mexico and, and arizona especially we talked about some of the archery camps this was the first year i had an elk tag in a long time uh, archery elk in unit nine and our camp went four for four and andrew dykes kind of took the charge there with the biggest bull out of that camp and uh just to kind of wrap up the trail camera conversation we ran i think close to 40 to 60 trail cameras or from the time we found out we drew till the time the season wrapped up and we pulled those cams and i think one or none of those bulls we killed was a bull we identified on a trail camera the only point i'm making there is trail cameras are not an assurance of your success for my personal hunting style i do things differently within a client than i would do for myself but the first couple of days of going to a ground blind on a water at 2 30 and 3 o'clock in the morning only to find i was beat there by a guy by a half hour and the next day to have Greg Joel's go to one it literally at midnight just to be there for 5:15. You know, that wasn't my jam, so I ended up moving to an area where I didn't even have a cam and killed a great bull in an area that I didn't even have a camera. So again, a, a trail camera's never killed a single animal that I know of. There's no trail cameras out there that have a projectile that kick out mustard gas and suffocate them. There's none that put out a snare. Um, so, you know, be careful about government overreach. We don't need that in our lives. It's not why we left the crown in England in 1776 or whatever. Take an active role. We're all hunters here. Even if you are maybe in favor of the hunting trail camera ban, just remember that a vote against your brethren in any form of hunting is, is a vote to end hunting. So be very, very careful is my, my uh, casual recommendation on that. I want to ask some of you guys about some of your highlights. You know, we're, Waldo, everybody's heard about Waldo. He's old news now. I want you guys to get in your mind uh, Cole, I'll probably throw to you first. Some of your most memorable hunts. I know you just finished up an awesome archery hunt with Jim. You had some great hunts throughout the fall. Saw a lot of critters hit the dirt. Um, what's uh, some of the things that stand out, maybe the most comical or the most rewarding hunt from this past yeah. fall? So I would say I had a really, really unique hunting season because I hunted with clients that it was literally their last hunt they would ever go on. Like they told me that, saying, you know, they hit that part in their hunting career. They physically couldn't do it anymore, mentally couldn't do it anymore and uh, had a great hunt, but then I also had the opportunity to hunt with hunters where it was their first hunt ever. And the one that sticks out to me the most is I had the opportunity to hunt up on the Kaibab with a, a 15 year old, uh, it was actually his dad, his brother and him, they, they all put in for 12, 12 B West late. I think it was their first year putting in with our zero, zero outfitter fees uh, and Drew. So obviously number one, they hit the lottery because they got 
a smoking deal on a hunt, right, through right. the Zero Outfitter Peace program. But they got a hunt in probably one of my favorite hunts in the state in, in being up on the Kaibat. His name was James. James came up to me um, first day. I was like, all right, man, what's your expectations I could do with all my clients? What are we going after? What do we want to hunt? And his words were, I want to shoot one that's bigger than my brother. I was like, all right, we can do that. I was like, we can do that. Opening morning came. Bucks were coming in, you know, to the spot that I scouted out and uh, just passing buck after buck after buck. I think opening day we passed like 25 mature bucks. His, his uncle was hunting with me and James and, and his uncle was like, we're passing, we're passing this deer? I was like, yeah, we're passing these deer. I was like, we got to get one bigger than his brother. So the hunt goes on and, and we're having just an amazing time seeing lots of deer. His brother ends up, you know, shooting a really nice uh, four by three. I think it was like right around that, like. 150 50 inch mark and I mean a, ten, years a, old. 10 year old yeah 10 year old his first first mule deer first big game kill ever so kudos to him just an absolute beautiful deer and then James and I had opportunity to to kill his big buck and and to, to say it was big is an understatement because it was really big I was I think it ended up going taping out at like 217 my biggest buck that I've ever guided and just to, to be able to hold that that Kaibab buck you know just a true giant a true monarch Oh, it was just so special and to see, you know, this 15 year old who didn't really, you know, he's in that awkward stage, I'm sure that we've all been in where you really don't really fit in. You're still trying to find the crowd you hang out with, you're quiet, you don't really have much of a, of a, of a personality. Um, but to see him shoot that deer and then walk up there and to see the smile on his face, I was like, man, this is why I do it, right? This is why I guide, this is why, why I enjoy doing this. Um, so really just to, to see those, like I said, those experiences of, of people finishing their hunting career and just getting started it's just it's special you know it gives me goosebumps talking about it because it's just one of those things that's so unique and so memorable and something that that i'll cherish for the rest of my life that's well said one of the things i i talk about in our mission statement is at the end of the day we talk about this our team meeting every year is our job is to make people's dreams come true and if we can make somebody's dream come true uh, we have a business that's worth that's worth being a part of Matt, what kind of sticks out in your head? I could think of a bunch of for you because, I mean, you had some amazing memories Killers. this year. You had some great opportunities this year. What kind of jumps off the page to you? I was lucky this year. I got to hunt with just a lot of great friends and uh, a lot of folks that I've hunted with in the past. And so we got to just relive a lot of old hunts. And, you know, Mexico's kind of just a big whirlwind. Sal came down and shot a couple of bucks. And Kyle as well. We had a blast with them and, and Will and Troy. Uh, doing combo hunts with them, the, the mule deer and coos with all the gang there. Uh, that was an absolute blast. I always have a good time with Pat. Uh, we Pat got to stick around a little bit this, this year. Pat from New Mexico um, because we had uh, a COVID scare and everything like that. So we had to stick around for a few extra days. So we got to spend some good quality time with him. And I wrapped up this year with John Coates, which is always fun. It was just John and I. Uh, hunting by ourselves at the ranch and uh, so it was nice and quiet and relaxing and we had a, that final week uh, before we got to wrap it up but I did shoot a deer this year. Um, you I might want to mention that right? Yeah, Mr. I, Humble. I hadn't yeah. shot a buck in a long time in Mexico. I think the last buck I shot in Mexico was in 2002. So 19 seasons ago the last buck I took home. Cole and Tanner and Dylan down there and we got lucky. We just had a good opportunity. Ran into the right buck, unbroken buck. <laughs> February, like February eighth. Still rutting does. Yeah, like... chasing does in February. Every buck on the ranch at that point just destroyed. It was just trashed, right there. They're so we got a really high buck to doe ratio. We got a lot of bucks, and they're just beating each other up. So once we got to about mid January, 
a high percentage of the bucks were just just completely trashed. And so we had kind of written off any chance of bumping into a big muley. And the big muleys we did bump into were missing a fork or a tine and, and things like that. So to see, catch that guy late in the season and, and kill my best mule deer buck ever with good friends there, uh, that was an awesome some way to cap the season off. Man, the fall was, fall was great, though. We shot a whole bunch of antelope in, in central New Mexico there, um, kind of our home base there for a lot of years. Uh, that was great. The oryx hunting was good this year. The elk hunting was great. Turning up a bunch more mule deer there. That's gonna, we're gonna change that over the next couple of years and start targeting some of those bigger mule deer bucks. But uh, really good year. Just got to go on a sheep hunt with uh, with a good friend, Brandon Goodwin, uh, and go down and actually help with another outfit, Amigos Guide Service, and uh, go help Brandon on his sheep hunt. So that was a great way to kind of cap off the late season for me. Brandon took a beautiful sheep and on about day. I think about day four of our hunt and uh, spent a few extra days down there and just just got back from that so so there really is no off season if you think about it year, and this is without any trade shows even this year for us so we've come off all these hunts all the you know excitement from starting in july with with waldo and, and coming up to this point but if we all look at our calendars in the next couple of weeks we've got a bunch of orcs hunters coming to mexico we've got turkey hunters coming to mexico we've got spring bear hunts in arizona we've got juniors turkeys and, and spring turkeys in arizona there really is no off season. The guys are just coming back. Half dozen guys were up on the Kaibab picking up sheds the last 10 days. It really is a neat country where you can do this as a living and pursue God's creation. And it's very humbling. It's really neat to uh, have such a great team. When I think of some of my hunts, and I'm going to throw it to Tanner here in a second too. I know we said we've beat up Waldo enough, but the, the hunt, I won't talk about the hunt with Waldo, but I do want to talk about the atmosphere in that camp. Not, not just after we got Waldo, but in the days leading up to Waldo, the companions, the companionship, the new friendships that were made, the old friendships that were solidified, how Mark, our client, just felt like he was part of a bigger picture. Um, once the animal was down, how a lot of our families made it to camp and the game wardens came to camp and heck, guys drove up from Phoenix just to look at the bull and turn around and have to go right back to Phoenix. And so I think from a, from a business owner outfitter standpoint, just seeing, hey, you know, it's been a long road since 2004 building up this team, but to see how the guys just they care about each other. It's one big happy family. It was really special. And that only took off more in the last few months when Tyne and Jerrica Heckethorn made the big decision to bring Pure Addiction Outfitters to Diamond Outfitters. Uh, for Mike and Lane to bring HD Trophy Hunts to Diamond Outfitters. You know, the the family that we're building here is truly special. And this could be, it's, it happens to be a guide business, but it could just as easily be a engineering firm or or an airline or anything else. You know, when you have a team of people that genuinely care about the mission genuinely care about the guy and gal sitting next to them on their left and right. Really anything's possible in any business. On the hunting side, uh, one of the things that has to come to my mind selfishly is uh, my son's first uh, hunt across the border. I took him across the border in January. For those of you that have done that, you know what that first time you cross your, yourself is like. Um, and then after you do it a bunch, it becomes old hat. But to be out there with my son at 14 years old and watch him uh, mature into a young hunter who's been an accomplished hunter since he was six or seven years old, even on overseas hunts for best of the West episodes, but to see him, you know, make a decision to, to take a deer at long range and to understand the responsibility that comes with that. Um, and even when it didn't go perfect, you know, ending up with a four or five year old deer at 1,018 yards, that was a great moment. And, and I know that'll be a controversial comment because half of the community will say, great, good job. That's amazing that he's learned that type of marksmanship. The other half will say, why would you ever teach a 14 year old to shoot a deer at 1,000 yards? Well, I believe in personal freedom, I believe in choice, and I'll tell my kids all the time, I'll never take away your choice, but there's consequences with your choice. So in my son's circumstance, the first shot that hit, 
wasn't a great shot. A lot of adult experienced hunters would kind of kick in their, their, their mission focus to rack the gun and take that next shot. He looked up at me and said, I feel bad. And I said, that's okay to feel that. Um, now let's get the job done and, and let's get that deer down. And we did. And, you know, I told my wife, I was so proud in that moment that he was humbled by the fact that he was recognizing the yardage involved at the shop, but that there was a life at the end of that bullet and he took responsibility for it. Uh, so that was a pretty special moment to me. And to have Skipper Tim down there and the whole gang uh, was a pretty special deal. So I think it's been a great season in that sense. The season never really stops. Tanner, when you think kind of back on this last season, what are some of the things that stand out most to you? I got my butt handed to me in Idaho and had to come home early because we were buying a house. And then I got it. I was able to get over being able to come home early. I was able to go to a family tradition camp where my brother and I and our whole family goes during the OTC August tag. And Cole and I were trying to target some really big deer this year and just couldn't get it done, but I was able to shoot a bear. But I think my favorite story of all was uh, having the opportunity to go with Matt and Cole and Dylan down to Mexico and I've got a nice little badge of honor saying that uh, I was able to help three different guides tag out on deer <laughs> and uh, I was the last one to take a deer. Yeah, I shot uh, the cartoon from open season, the one antler buck, <laughs> but at the end of the day uh, we killed some awesome deer down there and I had a great time and being able to kill a freak of a baby giant with Dylan and killing, helping Matt kill his and just the experience of Mexico is what I've always dreamed about and I really hope I can get the opportunity to go back because I will definitely take advantage of that. Great memory for you and your family and friends and it does uh, on the promotional side of thing kind of remind me that one thing we haven't talked a lot about is a kind of a cool announcement. So we talked about uh, Lane and, and Mike coming over, we talked about Ty and Jerrica and Stu and Hunter coming over and some of these other things but we haven't talked a lot about Colorado. And uh, Colorado's we're talking about. Since we uh, last did a podcast here, we added uh, approximately 35, 40 elk tags, 35, 40 mule deer tags, maybe more, in southwest Colorado, basically on a geographical line from Durango all the way through Maine Coast, up towards Cortez into Lewis into Duff Creek as you kind of follow it. And these are all private land or exclusive guide use BLM, BLM type hunts. Uh, Matt and I are uh, gonna bring into the Diamond Outfitters family as co-owners. I'm tickled about it. We don't 100% know what it looks like. We've been up there. We love it. We know what the business uh, has looked like for the last five or six years. But uh, Matt, what's your, I, I know we got a lot of high expectations for ourselves, but really excited for our clients for this coming year to be able to introduce Colorado to our inventory that already encompasses Arizona, New Mexico, and Sonora. But for you, what does this opportunity mean to be able to take on these giant deer tags in Colorado and some really fun opportunity elk hunts? What's your excitement level? Yeah, I, I'm really excited. It, it's a whole it's a little bit of a different game than we play down here in Arizona, New Mexico, and in Sonora. I think quality mule deer hunting is one of the toughest things to offer in the Southwest, uh, especially quality private land mule deer hunting. We've got the Kayabab and the Strip and things like that on draw tags and, and some limited opportunities in, uh, in New Mexico as well. But to really be able to offer our clients consistent quality mule deer hunting I think is the thing I'm most excited about. The elk hunting again high density you know great rut bugling. activity yeah. lots of bugling just fun fun elk hunts and I love hunting elk as much as anybody but mule deer has always been certainly in my career it's been uh, I guess I won't call it a weak point but it's been something I've done the least amount of. A lot more elk a lot more antelope a heck of a lot more coos deer 
than I ever had a chance to uh, to hunt and chase big mule deer. So that's what I'm most excited about is, uh, like I said, consistent opportunities to chase, you know, 165, 170 type mule deer all the way on up to 200 plus type deer and get to do it uh, throughout the, you know, duration of the season, all the three rifle hunts and muzzleloader in the, the, the month of uh, bow season as well. So I'm really excited about killing some big mule deer with, uh, with a lot of great friends. We've already got some good friends and buddies coming this year booked in this first season and uh, it's just only going to get better from there uh, the elk hunting uh, heck i might want to get an elk tag myself the right. elk hunting sounds fantastic um, i've spent a lot of time in that general area i've never elk hunted on this particular ground but wow there's you know just gorgeous country and high density of elk and and so that's going to be a lot of fun as well so really just most excited to be able to offer a lot of our good friends great clientele base of good friends that come and hunt antelope and elk and desert mule deer and things with us each year and do coos deer hunts every year. It's just a new offering that we get to go do with those a lot of those same guys and extend that extend a new hunt offering to them and, and go get some big mule deer killed. So I'm really excited about that. It's a big year for all of us and the team's grown. We've got more more full time staff than we've ever had. We're you know just focused on this mission and again if you're new to us the opportunities are Arizona to hunt with us on draw tags and over-the-counter tags um, and some guaranteed draw tags in that mix. Uh, those are hunts that my our application concierge service in the case of the draw hunts will do all that paperwork for you. In New Mexico we've got the same thing. We've got draw tags, we've got landowner tags, and, uh, and then in Colorado we've got draw tags. Now these private and land voucher hunts and, that, well, yeah. that, and that's a big deal. So again you're not limited like uh, with some other folks where you'd be limited to maybe got to do a draw. I mean if a guy wants to hunt elk with us this year, he's hunting elk with us this year. Antelope, he's hunting this year. Desert bighorn sheep, he's hunting with us. Mule deer, black bear, you name it, you're going to be able to hunt with us. And to Matt's point, a lot of these guys are the same guys that hunt with us every year. And these new offerings give them something to go do that they haven't done before with us. And uh, so we're excited about that. Something Cole mentioned too, if you're not familiar, go check out zeroffetterfeast.com. His 15-year-old hunter killed a 217-inch deer on a $399 annual hunt membership. I mean, it's preposterous, but it's something we want to do. Cole, I'm going to throw to you in a second. We've got a new offering. I'm going to call it the Toes in the Sand Mule Deer Hunt oh, yeah. uh, in Mexico that we're super, super excited about. Um, we're only going to take three to six guys in 2022, so give one of us a call if this is something you're looking at. Uh, but this is going to be a really unique private property opportunity to hunt mule deer while camping on the beach. Cole, fill us in on the details. Yeah, so I had the opportunity to go down with uh, Hunter Smith, who's a really good friend of mine, who used to run um, Broadhead Outfitters. And... Pretty much what they do is they hunt mule deer on the Syrian Indian Reservation, which is literally on the beach of Mexico. When I first heard about this experience and like had the opportunity to guide it, I was like, you mean like we're going to hunt mule deer on the beach? Like, it doesn't really make sense. And then he shows you trophy pictures and you're like, oh wow, we really are going to go hunt mule deer on the beach. Um, so pretty much what it is, I was like, your camps, everything's set up on the beach. You're eating fresh fish, fresh ceviche octopus, you name it, that the, the local Indian reservation, um, the tribe people will bring to your camp. You know, the mule deer, the, the trophy quality is probably like, I would say 165 to that 180. That's like a, a really, really good buck. We did kill a few that were right there at that magic that magic 200. That's a good range to shoot yeah. for though. You're hunting the, like 165 to 180 class deer with a chance at bigger. Yeah, yeah. So definitely chance at, at bigger bucks. Um, it is it is a more physically demanding hunt, um, just because 
the way you have to, to hunt them is these mule deer are in these big arroyos and the only way you can see them is to climb up pretty much to where the sheep live. So there's a big mountain range where the sheep live and to see in these arroyos you get up high in glass. We're talking about glass and get high in glass low. Uh, so you're climbing up these mountains and, and you're, you're looking at these mule deer bucks rut and if you're having a slow day, you know, not seeing bucks, you just glass out on the ocean and you're looking at dolphins swimming and, and hanging That's out. That's so awesome. Hanging yeah. out. So, so it's really like, like how, I, how I explain it to, to people that would want to go on this hunt, it really is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Like not many people can say they've hunted on the beach and it's super, super rare. It's super, super fun. And it's just something that like if you have physical, you know, in, in a little bit better physical shape, you know, that probably... 30 to 50s, 50s, 50s or, or if you're in your 60s and you're cranking and, and you feel like you can do this, I definitely would recommend giving us a call because it is a once in a lifetime opportunity and for us to be able to offer it to our clients, it's the same as the Colorado thing. It's like, it's really special. It's really, yeah. really special and, and just what the team is, has been able to produce and come up with and be creative to, to offer these hunting opportunities. It's super rare, and it's it's not seen in this industry. No, it's right? some of the opportunities that that are there as well. When you're down there on a mule deer hunt and you tag out, they've got these great little 18 and 20 foot panga boats to take you out fishing in the afternoon. Yeah, uh, in you know camp is literally on the beach, so like, you're camped toes you in the sand yeah, on the you, beach. You can't I can't stress that enough. Like when you pull into your camp, it's literally 10 feet from the ocean. So yeah. you're listening waves to the waves crash at night. You know, they, they rock you to sleep and, you know, you're having fresh food every single night. The cooks down there are phenomenal, making homemade tortillas. And you really just, when you hunt out of the country, you're just immersing yourself in that culture, right? Mm -hmm. So, and, and when I say like the whole Indian reservation, like they're there to support you on your hunt. The, the grandma who's like the medicine woman will come to camp and like, like sell these ironwood little mule deer that she hand whittled herself and like the ironwood like, sculptures exactly are great. Yeah. So, and like the other guy who like builds the ping he's also like an amazing um knife builder and he'll like if you find a shed he'll find like a leaf spring and bang it out on camp while you're there and make you this custom knife so you're literally it's like almost taking a step back in time and just a simpler life the views are amazing the deer hunting's great the rut is really good and you're just having an amazing, amazing trip. So, world so class, huh? when Hunter and Cole first brought this opportunity and, and Matt to, to me, I kind of listened to the same pitch that you just heard. And I thought, well, this is a hunt I would book. Yeah. So like, where do I sign up for this? Like, is that unethical if I book <laughs> exactly. tag number one of six? Like, I'll pay full boat, but uh, beach at night, check. Fresh seafood, check. Mule deer hunting, check gonna see some desert sheep check yeah oh and uh, fishing in your free time yeah, yeah and when i knock out my deer on day three i can stay around two days and, and go fishing on the pongas yeah you can do that too yeah and just because cherry on the sunday to show up at hermosillo you fly to hermosillo we're gonna pick you up you're gonna have this amazing experience the last night of your hunt we're gonna go stay at keno bay on my dime get to a hotel room we're gonna have some fresh seafood there at keno bay we're gonna drive you back to hermosillo and it's gonna be the fastest week of your life when you go home back to work to your family and friends you're yeah. never going to believe that you went and killed a fully mature deer while camping on the beach, while fishing in the middle of the day. It's just a beautiful, beautiful opportunity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, stop listening to CNN when it comes to traveling internationally yeah. for hunting. That is not your friend. God made a really big earth, and I think it's our obligation to see as much of it as we can in a safe and fun environment. And this is as safe and fun as it gets. We're going to pick you up at Hermosillo. We're going to take you back. We're going to take care of everything in between. 
what Hunter and Cole have put together is going to be a really special opportunity for all the Diamond Outfitters clients down the road. Yeah, and similar, like, so Matt, you've been hunting Sonora for how long? Mm, about 20 seasons, yeah. 20 seasons, so same with, with Hunter Smith. He's been down on the Syrian Reservation for yeah. many years. Um, never really had any issues as far as, you know, like drama, like drama that you always hear about, the horror stories. It's when you're there, like, you feel safe. You feel like you belong there. Everyone's super grateful that you're there. The tribe is just... Like I said, that's like their source of income, right? Like selling these deer tags and putting on these hunts is, for a lot of them, that's how they get this source of income. So mm -hmm. we're, we're giving back to the community that's there, which is super awesome. And my brother actually just reminded me too, like, so yeah, you're, you you tag out on day three, you still have, you know, four more days to, to hunt down there. You're fishing. They have brant geese, which I'm not a huge waterfowl person, but we had a client that we took down there that was from uh, Illinois. And like he pulled up to the beach and was like, Oh my gosh, that's a brand geese down there. So I guess it's this rare geese that they can hunt down there, which we'll have the opportunity to do. Um, and it's just one of those experiences. It's, it's once in a lifetime. And, and if you have any interest, call us and, and get the details on it. Because yeah. yeah. you won't want to miss it, that's for sure. Yeah, we'll have to throw a few shotguns in for that hunt, definitely to capitalize on that waterfowl hunting. Oh yeah, yeah. So we're going to have all the Arizona opportunities, draw and non-draw, New Mexico opportunities, draw and not draw, Colorado draw and not draw. And we will put you in the draw for those hunts that require draw through either Diamond Outfitters or Zero Outfitter fees. No problem, no questions asked. And then for all these other over-the-counter hunts, uh, you just call the office at Diamond Outfitters and, and book those hunts straight out. Another strategy some clients like to use is we put you in the draw and then if not drawn, buy one of these landowner tags. But they are first come, first serve. This hunt on the beach opportunity, I think is second to none. I might see you there on that one. That just sounds awesome. So that's a great recap, guys. And, and I wanna finish the podcast today now that we've kind of built everybody up to want to go hunting with us, I like to talk about mutual expectations. And of course, when you book a hunt with us, you'll get letters from us like how to prepare for your hunt, an equipment list, your contract, things like that. But I think what the general public doesn't know is uh, for a full-time outfitter, and I emphasize full-time outfitter, the amount of preparation we put in for your hunt. And you know, as bad as you think you want to kill a big deer or a big elk or an antelope with us, your guides pride and mission driven and they want you to get a big critter just as bad as you do if not more in some cases because we're alpha personalities we're competitive amongst ourselves everybody wants to bring the biggest critter into camp so on that note guys i want to have a conversation with you know i'll call it the great disconnect and, and being in the tv side of things i know i'm guilty a little bit of this too because yeah if we're doing a best of the west tv episode or whatever we're showing some big deer we're showing some big elk right some of that top end stuff because that's what makes good television. That's 10 days of stuff for a 22 minute video, right? So I think we need to have a conversation here on the podcast about how we prepare for a hunt and how the client prepares for a hunt and those mutual expectations. And we realize that by the time you're able to actually book a hunt with us in your life as a hunter, you might be a new hunter. You may be a hunter, you know, that's, that's uh, got more in the rear view mirror than in the front of the mirror, but as long as we manage expectations up front and we know what you're capable of months and weeks in advance and, and what we're looking for, I think you'll, you'll do really well. I think when you start setting yourself up for failure is when you put down that hunting magazine and go, okay, I'm gonna go to Arizona or New Mexico and I'm gonna go kill a 400 inch bull. I mean, the days of passing on 370, 380 inch bull anywhere in the Southwest is largely behind us. You know, it's, there, there was a time in the 90s where you literally on certain units and certain tags just wouldn't shoot anything under 360 or 370. Today, that's just it's not as common at all. So I think you need to have your expectations managed up front by understanding your physical expectations, your mental expectations, 
And then understanding that, you know, we can't create or control the habitat. We can't create or control the hunting pressure, things like that. But the variables that diamond outfitters can control, we're going to control at a hundred percent level. We're asking that the variables you control in your preparation for the hunt meet that same level of, uh, of energy. So Cole, I guess uh, if you were talking to the next 150, 200 hunters you're going to guide over the next several years, what are the th some of the things you'd want them to know going in? How are you preparing for their hunt months and years in advance? And then obviously everybody's physical conditions are going to be different. Their shooting capacities and comfort levels and ethics are going to be different. But talk about a little bit about your expectations of yourself and then also what you're looking for from your client. Yeah, it's funny because it seems like I have this conversation every camp you go into, every new client you have, you always, you always talk about these things beforehand, right? And for me, a big thing is, is I love to obviously first start off with great communication between myself and the, and the client. I'd hope that it would be the same way. You know, if a client has questions, ask us about it. And that goes for anything. So number one, try to stay in shape. I know it's hard for everyone, everyone has jobs, but if you can get out and do a hike a week or ride your bike around the block or or just go on an evening walk with your, your kids or wife or even just yourself, that'll pay off, right? Because if you just go out there, your legs are stiff, you've never hiked for the last 10 years since you drew your last tag, it's gonna be tough. We talked about earlier in the podcast, all these new COVID campers, all these new COVID hunters, the spots where you could just pull off the road and glass, like you're gonna have to go a little bit deeper, get a little bit more into the wilderness where people will less likely be. So. So staying in shape, I think it's funny because a lot of clients and a lot of guides are, oh, do I have to CrossFit to, to be a great hunter? You don't have to CrossFit. You don't have to do a crazy workout. Does it help? Yes. Like, will it improve your success? Yes, right? Like, like stay in shape. Second on that, like, shoot. Like, get out and shoot, whether it's your bow or your gun. Make sure that all of your equipment is, is dialed in. You know, don't say you can shoot. 500 yards if you've only ever shot 100 yards like that doesn't work i know the technology's good i know the scopes are good but get out get comfortable with your firearm or your bow and make sure that you are going to be confident in what you're going to shoot at because as a guy if you're confident at 800 yards shooting a rifle i'm not going to be the one that says don't shoot or not shoot like that's up to you you have to have the confidence in your equipment going forward mm -hmm. just like i have confidence in, in my stuff if i'm having a personal hunt like I'll go out and I'll shoot beforehand, make sure that, that I'm, I'm up to date with all that stuff. As far as like how I prepare for, for a hunt that I'm gonna take a client, obviously scouting. That's why these people are, are booking a, a guide is because they get out there and they scout the unit. They're gonna know where to go, what the elk are doing, what the deer are doing, or whatever species we're hunting. And for me personally, it's not, obviously everyone wants to be able to tag out opening morning, which try to do, right? Have some, yeah. have had some success with that, but, but it's knowing like what's plan A, what's plan B, what's C, what's D, what's E, what's F, right? What, if there is someone in this glassing up, how can I get a different look to be looking at the same thing, but different, different angles. So it's always just preparing myself for those un, unforeseen circumstances or what was it back in 2019 when we had the snow apocalypse, right? When no one, you know, no one could hunt. I always tell my clients and Jim Wingham's the same way, you know, on this OTC hunt, I know I'm kind of rambling, but like just have the grit to, and the determination to just want to get it done, yeah. right? Because there's a lot of people that are going to be back in camp hanging out by the fire when the conditions are tough. But if you're out there pounding it and grinding it, like the success will come. It just does. Whether you kill or not, the opportunities will be there if you're out there pounding it, getting after it, glassing, not taking the easy road. 
Um, so definitely just prepare yourself mentally too that there's going to be days where you're going to not succeed. You're going to fail. It's going to be tough hunting. But get through that because when you get through that, it'll make your hunt 10 times more memorable. And I've, mm-hmm. I've preached that to every client I have. And I, I mean, it's for myself too as a guide. It's like, we got this. Does it suck to wake up at 3.30 in the morning? Yes. Like we're tired, but get through it. Keep grinding and the success will follow. Firm so, believer in that. So that's really well said. And, and I'll go back to my old life in the military. You know, 99% of what we did in the military was training. 99%. The actual boots on the ground, bombs in the air, is less than 1% of what we do. Yeah. So why do we dedicate 99% of our time and effort and the taxpayer's money into training? For that 1%. For that 1%. So the, the saying in my house is, you train the way you fight. So when my son's getting practice for baseball, no, it's not practice. You train like this is a game situation. You put yourself in the mindset of, this is the most important pitch I'm going to throw today. This is the most important hit I'm going to hit today. No military's ever won without training. And you've just got to mentally and physically prepared. Matt, what's on? what do you think? I think there's a lot that goes into a picture of a, of a big bull, someone posing behind a big dead bull. Public perception and social media and stuff, everyone just sees a picture of a guy behind a big dead bull. And I want one of those too. I want to, I want to get that picture so they can get their tag and they don't realize what has gone into killing that big bull whether it's just the amount of time and effort that that hunter has put forward and the amount of preseason time that that guide has put put in. Our goal for you guys is uh, to pick up on the fact that we take our hunting seriously but don't take ourselves so seriously, that we have a lot of fun, and, and that we offer a client service uh, that's very detailed and very in-depth, but also that this is a podcast that the DIY guys are going to love. You don't need to be our customer to benefit from this. We don't Uh, expect that we just want you to be here and have a good time we're glad you're listening today Uh, as i said matt's very humble but his background and knowledge of all things western big game hunting all things crossing the border into sonora just a litany of different things and opportunities to have adventures with the diamond outfitters crew and we're glad you're listening the hunt with matt and dan is brought to you by zero outfitter fees the wild sheep foundation and diamond property group 